Good morning. The Lord bless you. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for words that inspire us, music that lifts our souls, and for being in an area so precious, so beautiful, for sunshine, for a sense of being away from the busyness of the world, for being able to rest our souls in all the goodness of God. Now, Father, as we turn to your word, be pleased to speak to us again. Our God, we read in your word that if any man be in Christ, he is a totally new creation. And, Father, this we believe. But the tragedy is we don't demonstrate it. We live lives that are just a patched-up old nature. And, Lord, this isn't the way you planned it. And as we go on to think of what's missing in our Christian life and our Christian experience, may our hearts be attuned to your word. Again, may we expose our hearts to truth, not just our minds to information, but our hearts to truth. And may there be a response that comes out. May we turn belief into behavior. May our lives demonstrate the power of the risen Christ. Lord, this is your desire. This is why you saved us. This is why we've gathered together at this place. And so may your will and our desires and your intentions be fully realized. And this prayer we ask through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a second message in the series, What's Missing in My Christian Life. And you remember last night we spoke about the missing experience. And that's absolutely tremendous. You'll get nowhere and in a, as a Christian until you realize the twofold gift of God. Every Christian knows the wonder of the death of Christ. And we rejoice in sins forgiven and our home in heaven. That's, that's the basis of the whole thing. But that isn't what God's salvation is. That's only half of God's salvation. We saw in Romans 5.10 where reckon, you're not saved by the death of Christ, you're reconciled by the death of Christ so that you can be saved by his life. And if all you know is reconciliation, then you're fit for heaven. But you aren't fit for earth. See, the death of Christ doesn't qualify you to live. The death of Christ qualifies you to die and go to heaven as a forgiven sinner. It's the life of Christ that qualifies you to live. Jesus said, because I live, what? You shall live also. And there are so many Christians who rejoice in reconciliation and know nothing of living. So many folks I meet, they, they don't live, they just exist. And that isn't God's plan. God didn't save you to be a failure. Well, if this is so, what is it that's keeping us from moving into this experience. There are many things, but I just want to talk about one thing, one word this morning. The missing word may be in your experience as a Christian. The missing word. And so that's the title of this message. Last evening was the missing experience. This is the missing word. Uh, look with me, first of all, in Mark's Gospel and chapter 1. I want to do an extensive word study this morning, just on one word, starting in Mark chapter 1, in a few moments. <clears throat> if I asked you, what was the 
great word our Lord taught and used in the whole of his ministry, I ask you to write down what you think might be the key word of so much of our Lord's ministry. I wonder what you'd write. You'd probably put love down and words such as that. But you'll find as we look now and continue that our Lord Jesus emphasized one word which is missing in much of the preaching of today. Don't ask me why, but you'll see as we go on. One word he used, repeated, emphasized in the whole of his ministry, and you'll see it as we turn to God's word, which is missing in so much of our evangelism today. And the word is repent and repentance. This is the key word in the preaching of our Lord Jesus. And it's missing in so much preaching today. And it may be missing in your Christian experience. And if the act and the experience of repentance is missing in your life, that could be one of the reasons why you're not living uh, the life that God planned you to live. Now, one of the reasons, one of the reasons why it's missing in much preaching today is that we have been brainwashed to believe that repentance is a negative thing. We don't like a negative faith. We want something which is positive and which goes on. And the big word today is something positive, creative. <clears throat> and we've got the idea that repentance is a no-no. It's a negative thing. Now, that hasn't come from the word of God. That attitude's come from the devil. The, the one word the devil does want to see in your life is repentance. You can have all the rest, but no repentance. <clears throat> if he can get you living without a measure of the word repentance, then uh, he can achieve a great deal for his own purposes. And we've got the idea that repentance is negative. Now, repentance is probably one of the most positive words in the Bible. Repentance means to have another mind. It means to turn from the whole of the past and to move into a totally new situation. It means to empty my hands of the garbage of my own life and receive all that God has for me in Christ. Nothing could be more positive than that, to empty my hands of the garbage of my own life and then receive all that God has for me in Christ. And somehow we get the idea, boy, you know, well, repentance is an old-fashioned word. Sure, all the, hundreds of years ago they used to preach it, but we're educated now. We don't need repentance. We've got psychology and other ways of handling situations. And for some reason we've uh, missed out on the word repentance. You get many evangelists, if you listen on radio, you'll hear them saying, uh, only believe, only believe, only believe. And that's totally unscriptural. If you listen to Billy Graham, bless him, you'll hear every time Billy finishes, he says, you must repent, you must turn from your sin, and you must turn to Christ. He always brings that in. But many evangelists don't. They just emphasize only believe. And you see, if it's only believe, then to your old lifestyle, you add a Jesus experience. It becomes Jesus also. And this is especially so with young people. 
And in, in real love to you folks in, who are students here, I would press this word on you. I would really emphasize it. As I go on with this message, examine your own heart and your own soul. Sure, you're saved. You've trusted Jesus. But is it a Jesus also experience? You have your old lifestyle, the things you used to do, your old habits, your old friends, your old thought patterns, your, 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 old, your old everything. And to the old life, you stick on a Jesus experience. And it becomes Jesus also. Now, that isn't right. It's Jesus only. Jesus only, not Jesus also. And if I have this only believe business, then it's a Jesus also experience. But if it's a repent and believe, then it becomes a Jesus only. Not that we're perfect. But I start off on the right way. If I start my Christian life with all the garbage around me and Jesus also, I'll get nowhere. You get the same idea if you think of Lazarus. When our Lord raised Lazarus, uh, Lazarus was dead. He was in the cave. Our Lord was there, Mary and Martha. And our Lord said two significant things. First of all, having had the cave opened, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And there must have been a, a horrified hush and a scared experience as they gazed into the darkness of the tomb. And they saw a figure struggling to the front with all the grave clothes wrapped around him. He was alive, but all the significance of death was around him. Then our Lord said the second great thing. He said, loose him and let him go. And some brave soul came and undid the bandages, wondering what they'd see. And all they saw was the smiling face of Lazarus. Now, repentance is loose him and let him go. And many people go through life trailing their old gay, the grave clothes behind them. All the significance of your past life. Smelly and uncomfortable. And it trips you up. And this could be one of the reasons why your Christian life has no vitality. It's getting nowhere fast. You know you're saved. You know you're born again. But nothing's happening. And the key thing may be you've never been exposed to the teaching of the word repentance. Well, look now with me as we look into the Word of God. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 14. Now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. That's the first text our Lord used in Mark's Gospel. Notice the two words and notice the order. Repent and believe. Very significant. The first message our Lord preached as recorded by Mark. Repent and believe. The same gospel, chapter 2 and verse 17. Our Lord is replying to the um, comment of the Pharisees. When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Notice the significance of it. That's why he came. He didn't come to call sinners to believe. He came to call sinners to repentance. 
And if you haven't repented, you've missed the whole idea. Thank God if you've believed. But if you haven't moved into this idea of emptying your life of your old lifestyle. You see, if any man be in Christ, he is a totally new creation. You are that. You are complete in Christ. You have all that it takes to be all that God wants you to be. But if you retain your old lifestyle, your old behavior pattern, the whole idea, common sense would tell you, as I said last night, the thing is so simple, so obvious. If I trail along my old grave clothes, I'll get nowhere. Now look with me in chapter 6 of this same gospel. Verse 7. Here we have the record of our Lord Jesus sending out the first group of evangelists. He called unto him the twelve, began to send them forth by two and two, gave them power over unclean spirits. And if you read on, he told them how to dress. He told them where to go. He told them how to behave. And he told them what to preach. Please, i repeat that. He told them what to preach. Verse 12, And they went out and preached that men should repent. Now, why did they preach that men should repent? Because Jesus told them to. And why don't we preach it? Don't ask me. It's the missing word in so much of our evangelism and preaching today. We, we leave it out. And in leaving it out, we condemn the converts to a miserable walk. Because that isn't the way God planned it. Look in Luke chapter 13. This is a whole Bible study on the word repentance. Luke's Gospel chapter 13, verse 1. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. I want you to notice all the way through the total emphasis of the Lord on this key word. This is the key word that sets people free. Believing gives you life, repentance sets you free. Look with me in the same book and chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. This is the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And in this chapter, our Lord gives, on two occasions, indications of angelic behavior. This is very interesting. Verse 7, our Lord speaking, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Or verse 10, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. 
Now, I used to think there was joy when people believed. Did you think so? We kind of automatically think there's joy in the angels when people believe. But Jesus didn't say, no, no, no. no. There's joy when they see people repenting. Almost imagine the angels looking over the walls and saying, hey, fellas, look, there's a real one. Look, he's repented. Because then you know it's real. See, if you go around living your old beaten-up lifestyle and you talk about being a Christian and believing, people will say, so what? So what? But if they see a changed lifestyle, they've no need to ask you. You've no need to tell them. They can see it. It isn't only the angels who are looking for repentance, but your friends and maybe your family. Maybe some of you students here, your family are looking for a changed lifestyle in you. It isn't the words that you say. I remember when I was in charge of the work at Cape Henry in the summer with the youth house parties. We'd get scads of kids over, perhaps two or three hundred for a week. And um, I always got a group, those who'd been saved, I always did a session with them on going back home to your mum and dad. And you don't go home and blast them. You don't go home and tell your dad he's a hell-deserving sinner and all the rest of it. Many kids do that. And so there were twin boys there at about 14 or 15, a pair of rips and rascals. And they both got saved. And I said, now when you go home, don't set off on your dad and blast him or your mum. They came from a non-Christian home. I said, when you go home, um, demonstrate a changed life. If you are a Christian, well... Show a different lifestyle. So they wrote to me some weeks afterwards. And uh, these two lads had gone home. And after being settled down, the next day they said, Dad, can we help you in the garden? And when their dad picked himself up off the floor, (laughs) he said, oh, oh, sure, 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 sure. Oh, yes, you can go and dig over there. Sure, Dad. So off they went and dug. Who ever heard of teenagers looking for a job for digging in a garden? So they they dug and... uh, Any more we can do for you, Dad? Sure you can do this. Mum, can we help you in the bedroom? Can we do some washing up for you? Oh, yes, yes. And this went on for about two or three weeks. In the end, the father came and said, I can't stand it any longer. What's happened to you? Oh, I've been saved. You see? They demonstrated a changed life, and then they could talk about what had happened. Whereas many of us go home and tell folks we've been saved, and they say, so what? You're just the same mean person you were before. You see, repentance is so important, and even the angels uh, bank on this. The Lord knows what's on your heart, but the angels don't. They've got to see a changed life before they can get excited. Which makes me ask, have you given the angels cause for rejoicing yet? Or are they still waiting for you to show a changed life? Makes you think. Now, here's a tremendously key verse. Luke's Gospel, the last chapter. I don't know how anybody can read this verse and miss out the preaching that's necessitated by it. In Luke 24, you have the risen Christ in all his power. 
verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And then he went on to tell them the whole plan for the future preaching of the church throughout all ages. I repeat that. He gives them now, these men, the whole plan for the future ministry of the church. He said unto them, thus it is written, thus it behoved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, now watch it, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. The three R's, repentance, remission, rejoicing. And this is what Jesus told them they had to do. And we don't do it. It's as plain as plain can be. The key thing is repentance and then remission and, the, and then the rejoicing that follows. And why don't we do it? Jesus said so. Now, look with me in the book of Acts in chapter 2 and let's see what the early church did. After all, they'd been told what to do. Acts chapter 2. The great story of the day of Pentecost. When these men were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter, the runaway coward, preached his first tremendous message. Uh, let's pick it up at verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. Here's Peter having finished, or finishing his message. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Uh, just for a moment, pause. Please notice, God has made him both Lord and Christ. Sometimes you hear people say, you have to make Jesus Lord in your life. You don't have to make Jesus Lord. You have to recognize a lordship which already exists. God has made him Lord. You don't make him Lord. God has made him both Lord and Christ. You recognize a lordship which already exists. Now, verse 37. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, come to the front and fill the form up and we'll give you a book and we'll have some follow-up. Did he? That's what we say. That's what we say today. Look what Peter said, verse 38. Then said Peter unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why did Peter say repent? Because Jesus told him to. Why don't we say that? Don't ask me. I, the more I bring a message like this, the more I am convicted in my own soul of this tremendous area of weakness in evangelism and preaching today to believers. Because I'm not preaching the gospel, I'm preaching, preaching to believers here. And we're trying to find what's missing in your Christian life. Why is it that you aren't going on to be a new creature? Why haven't you got this new uh, 
this new experience of living a total life. Now, look with me in uh, the next chapter, 3, Acts. Peter, there's a, a lame man is healed, you know, and a crowd gathers and Peter has an open-air meeting. And then he preaches. Verse 17. Now, brethren, I know that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Notice, he said, repent and be converted. Why did he say repent? Because Jesus told him to. And we tell people to be saved and be converted, and we miss out the key word. Look in chapter 17 of the book of Acts. And here you have Paul now, not Peter. You have Paul. And he's preaching in uh, this wondrous place to the philosophers, Mars Hill in Athens. And you might think that people would say to uh, Paul now, wait a minute, Paul, you know. When Peter was preaching, he was preaching to Jews and later on to Samaritans. And he called upon them to repent. They were religious people. But now, these folks in Athens, they're a bunch of uh, pagans. They're the, they're the intelligentsia of the day. These are the PhDs, the intelligent people in Greece. And you need a new approach to them. That's what some people think. If you're preaching to university students, you need a, a new approach because they aren't the ignorant people that other folk are. How stupid can you be? Look in Acts chapter 17, verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's devices. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He doesn't only ask them, he commands them. He goes one stage further, God commands you to repent. And you know what? There are an awful lot of disobedient believers going around in our churches. They've been commanded to repent, but they say, no, 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 no. That's old-fashioned. No, no, that's negative. I've got to be positive. I've got to be creative. And all they do is create more havoc and more failure. Isn't it simple? Isn't the thing so obvious as you read through? Look in chapter 20 of the book of Acts. Here you have Paul in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem. He hasn't got time to call at Ephesus itself. So in verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. When they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, how, uh, notice, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I've shown you 
and I've taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole of his ministry in Asia, he said, you know, it's profitable to you. When you repent, it's profitable. Things happen in your life. Many people's faith is unprofitable. They know their sins are forgiven. They know they're going to heaven when they die. They hope so. But as regards the present, well, you know, you, you just try the best you can and maybe you get by with it. Some days you're up and so some days you're down. And we sing little titty-bitty choruses to cheer us on our way. God never saved you to live that kind of a life. You know, the, we have a phrase, the victorious Christian life. I don't like that phrase. It implies that God has an inferior quality, which is a non-victorious life. Listen, that's the normal Christian life. Anything other is subnormal. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. And I'm not talking about having no problems in your life because that's stupid. Everybody has problems. But it isn't the problems that cause the trouble. It's what you do with those problems and what they do with you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. What difference does it make? None. I can do all things through Christ. What difference does it make? None. Why? Are we a different breed? Does God have favorites? God has no favorites. He never gave Paul any more than he gave me or you. It's what you do with what God gives you. You are complete in Christ. But if you choose to live a beaten up life, that's your business. If you choose to switch off the living Christ and sit in the driver's seat and try and run the show yourself, go ahead, that's your privilege. But don't ever blame God because things don't come out right. Don't ever shake your fist at God and say, why God? It's so simple. If you just empty your hands and receive all that God has. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Colossians 2, 6, my second most important verse. As you have received, what? So walk ye. How do you walk? Receiving all that he has for you in Christ. So simple. Chapter 26. Same book. Here is a... I wish some artists would paint this picture. You have this glorious assembly of the Roman nobility with Agrippa and Queen Bernice on their thrones and all the officers in their gorgeous uniforms. Now, Roman officers had the most gorgeous manly uniforms. Then they call up this poor old prisoner from down below. And up the staircase comes Paul, a bit ragged now, in chains, dusty, unshaved, and uh, he stands there blinking in the sunlight, all these big shots around him. He's the only one in chains, but he's the only one who's free. And he's allowed to speak for himself. And so he gives this tremendous testimony of what God has done. For example, verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me, and so on. You know that? Then uh, 
verse 15. I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Arise, stand upon thy feet, and so on. I'm going to send thee unto the Gentiles, verse 18, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, to turn them, turn them, that's repentance, from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and so on. Verse 19, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Now, verse 20 is a remarkable verse. It's the whole of Paul's ministry in one verse. But I showed first unto them of Damascus, then at Jerusalem, then throughout all the coasts of Judea, then to the Gentiles. What did he preach? That they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. See, Paul was a perfectionist. Paul wanted to see your repentance, not only to hear it. He wanted to see works meet for repentance. He looked for a changed lifestyle. That was the whole of Paul's ministry. Why did he preach that? Because Jesus told him to. It's as easy as that. Now, look with me in the book of Revelation. And chapter 2. And here you have the Christ in glory. Writing seven letters. To seven churches. Revelation chapter 2. The first letter is to the church at Ephesus. The same one that we were talking about. Paul spoke to the elders. And the Lord has some marvelous things to say about them. Verse 2. I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience. How thou canst not bear them which are evil and so on. Verse 4. Nevertheless. I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Remember, repent, restore. And that was to the finest church there ever was. And this is the, the, Lord, the Lord in glory writing a personal letter to the finest church there ever was. And the first word was, remember and then repent. The second church was the church in Smyrna, beginning at verse 8. And the Lord had nothing wrong to say about them. They were suffering tremendous persecution. And as we saw last night, persecution makes a pure church. The third church was Pergamos, beginning in verse 12. Verse 13, I know thy works. Verse 14, I have a few things against thee. Verse 16, repent, or else I will come against thee quickly. And so to this great church at Pergamos, the Lord says, repent, the Lord in glory. The fourth church is Thyatira, beginning at verse 18. Verse 19, I know thy works. Verse 20, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Verse 21, repent. Verse 22, except they repent of their deeds. See this? I want you to see how repentance is one of the key words in the life of Christ. 
When he began his ministry, it was repent and believe. When he commissioned the church, it was repentance and remission of sins. Then, when he's in glory, writing from glory to earth, these letters repent. The fifth church is Sardis in the beginning of chapter 3, verse 3. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, hold fast and repent. Sixth church is Sardis, repent. The fifth church. The sixth church is Philadelphia, beginning at verse 7, to the angel of the church at Philadelphia. Uh, there's nothing critical of them because they again are undergoing tremendous persecution. Where you have a persecuted church, you have a pure church. And the seventh church, of course, is Laodicea. Unto the angel of the church at Laodicea, verse 14. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Notice the significance of those words. As many as I love, I love, I rebuke, and I chasten. Chastening and rebuke is a proof of love. We've got it wrong, you know. Again, I was speaking uh, to Cape and May to a bunch of young people some years ago. We had a bunch of high school kids, and we got a conversation going on uh, how do you know that your dad loves you? Oh, and one fellow said, oh, my dad gave me a bike. My dad gave me a watch. My dad gave me this. My dad gave me this. And then one girl said, my dad loves me enough to punish me. And the other said, what to punish you? She said, yes, my dad loves me enough to punish me. The true proof of love is punishment. As many as I love, I rebuke. Whom the Lord loveth, he gives boxes of chocolates to. Whom the Lord loves, he what? He chastened. That's one of the problems with the up-and-coming generation. We spoil kids. The, the, some parents hate their kids. They must do because they don't chasten them. The proof of love is punishment. You see, God says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. And we think the proof of love is you go on giving things. And God says, no, no, your ways aren't my ways. When I love people, I punish them. And I chasten them. Because I want them to be the best they can be. <laughs> I had a mother not too long ago come to me. She must have think she must have been crazy. She said, John, uh, my daughter's 13 next week. What can I do about it? I said, what do you mean? She says, well, she's a teenager next week. What do I do about it? I said, lady, if you've just realized you do something about it, you're too late. When your kids are one and two, you discipline them. And when they're three and four, you punish them. And if necessary, when they're nine, ten, and eleven, you wallop them. <laughs> then when they get to thirteen, you take your hands off. And the tree has been shaped the way it should go. And then as they become fifteen and sixteen, you take your hands off and you let them go. 
But if you give them all they want, while they're two, three, four, and then when they're 13, you try and put the screws on, you're asking for trouble. Because all you'll have is rebellion. That's the way God planned it. You know, even Dr. Spock, who was commissioned by the devil, I'm sure, to preach to a generation of American mothers how to bring your kids up. Even he admitted a couple of years ago in the Red Book, that uh, Red Magazine, that uh, he made a mistake. And he accepted responsibility for a lot of the rebellion of the 60s and the 70s. And a latest pronunciation from Dr. Spock, I read it last week in the same, in the same, same magazine. If he had his time again, he'd send his kids to Sunday school and they'd take them there. This is a man who turned the whole of America upside down by an atheistic philosophy of let the kids do what they like. And thousands of kids were raised in America on the do-what-you-like idea. Then in the 60s and the 70s, you had the burnings and the riots on the, in the universities. And he admitted it was his fault. And he's even gone so far to say if he had his time again, he'd send his kids to Sunday school and take them. See, he found out too late. Found out too late. The Lord emphasizes repentance and repentance and repentance. Not because he wants to punish us. But because he wants us to enjoy the fullness of a Christian life. Now I began by saying, if, this, if we are complete in Christ and God has all this for us, how is it that uh, we miss out on this glorious life of Christ? And here's one of the reasons, the, the missing word. Because, now, I, I will say this, with many people, it's what I call honest ignorance. It isn't that you deliberately have gone against God's word. It's because there's so many people tell me, but nobody ever told me. I didn't know. I was told, well, now you've laid out, you go and live for Jesus and try and be a good boy, try hard and try hard. You don't try. The Bible word isn't try, the Bible word is trust. And when you take your hands off your own life and let the Lord run the show, then he'll chasten you. He'll guide you in the right way. And again, in love to some of you young folk here, this may be the missing thing in your life at present. See, the Lord loves you, and so do I. And I, I, I'm being brave enough to say these words to you. Maybe what you really want is a good slugging from God to make you shape up. I, I know nothing about your lifestyle, whatever. No one's ever told me, and I wouldn't ask. But if you're like many of the folk we get at Cape and Ray in England, the bunch we have this year, Alan Redpath wrote and told me, got a bunch of rebels. They're going the wrong way. They don't want to do this, don't want to do this. See, these kids, if you're a rebel, you're just letting the, the, the old nature take over in your life and run the show. And the devil loves to have rebels there. I was just discussing with Chris Thomas when I was at uh, Ravencrest a couple of weeks ago. And we realized how important it is in the Bible school who the strong characters are. You always have strong characters in a Bible school. 
And if, if your strong characters are fine fellows and girls who really love the Lord, then they set the pattern and you have a great Bible school. And the one at uh, Ravencrest this year, they've got some tremendous fellows and girls, glorious Christians, Canadians and Americans, who really love the Lord. And the whole of the rest are lining up behind them. And you've got a glorious Bible school. Now, if your strong characters are beaten up rebels, who are strong characters, and who emerge as leaders in rebellion, then the devil has a heyday. And the faculty have a, a hard day. And the rest of the kids uh, have a rough time. I really mean that. I've, I've seen it. We sometimes have to send kids home from Cape and Ray in England. Because we realize that they're, they're believers, but they're committed to outright rebellion with no change whatever. So out you go. The Lord said, cast the devils out. But finishing in an atmosphere of love and kindness, just evaluate your own life. Uh, maybe this is uh, honest ignorance. You didn't know. Nobody told you. Well, I've told you. So let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And for 60 seconds, let's be absolutely quiet. And you know, maybe the Lord will just draw near to you this morning and say, hey, how about it? How about giving a bit of a thrill to the angels by covenanting to repent? And when you're tempted to do these things, just let the Lord handle the situation for you. That's what he's there for. Say, Lord, I, I can't handle this temptation, this sin. Lord, I can't, but Lord Jesus, you can. Lord, you handle this for me. And he will. He'll give you victory. Sixty seconds of quietness from now. Blessed Lord, we whom you've called to be leaders, how it hurts us when we see your people deliberately choosing to go their own way, condemning themselves to failure, then blaming God and being no witness. And the whole thing is fouled up. And it, was, it could be so easy if they'd only listen to what you said and let you move in and recognize a lordship which already exists and straighten up and become what they have already been destined to be, new creatures in Christ. But I pray for all who hear this tape in days to come, for rebels 
and for those whose lives are of no account at all, and those who are disappointed, Lord, be pleased to show them that the answer is in their own hands. They are complete in Christ. All they need to do is let you take over. And may it be so, Lord Jesus, for your dear name's sake. Amen.